We're going to take advantage of the season and what you might call incompetence at Cleveland City Hall to talk about leaves. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Courtney Astolfi, and Laura Johnston. Let's jump in. We've got good stories, as we usually do on a Thursday. Laura, which Northeast Ohio restaurants have the most health violations, according to the latest reports? These are some of our most popular pieces of content on the site, and this is the worst of the worst. It is some of our most popular things that people want to look at. I hope not some of the most popular restaurants, because these are gross. <laughs> these aren't just the people, the restaurants that have the most violations, although some of them are. These are the most critical violations, the ones that you actually worry about. Things like mouse droppings under the soda syrup rack behind the refrigerator and and uh, timestamp foods like egg, sausage, and corned beef hash, hash that are left out at room temperature and haven't been timestamped uh, and there for more than four hours. So the kind of stuff that you can really get sick from. Uh, the most cited restaurant in our our area, when we do our area, it's usually seven counties, but Geauga and Portage do not have their uh, inspections online. So we don't have those. So out of five counties, Royal Lunch in North Royalton had 36 foods inspection violations that were critical. This runs from March of 2021 through February of 2022. It's 34% of their total 105 food inspections. That was the second highest overall violation count in Cuyahoga County. And then the second most gross one with 30 critical food inspection violations, that was hibachi. I love that it's hibachi with with a T in it. Uh, Japanese Steakhouse, that was an independent. And they had 114 total violations. That was the highest overall inspection uh, issue in Cuyahoga County. Think about that. 114. <laughs> I mean, should you even be in business at that point? No, I don't think so. And some of them aren't. I love I love Zachary Smith did a great job with this series. And he went through county by county. He was giving us the the most violations in each county. And then he would break out the biggest city in each county. You know, look at Cleveland and Cuyahoga or Kent and basically show us the worst of the worst. Uh, but yeah, Dan's Dogs in Medina, that's number three on the grossest list, 27 critical food violations. That business is now closed. And you've got to think that a lot of these, if once people read them, they're going to not go there anymore. Because yeah, you, you don't want to mess with with gnats in your food and mouse droppings. Okay, check it out. It's on cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Courtney, why did the city of Cleveland wait until November 2nd after a whole lot of people spent the weekend raking leaves in their yards to prepare for all the Halloween kids to explain how it is changing the rules about leaf collection? And what is the argument for the rules change, which is going to make life much more complicated for a bunch of residents? Yeah, so yesterday we heard from City Hall that that this special leaf pickup program where residents don't have to bag their leaves, they just rake them to the curb, um, that, that those special areas comprise about one third of the city. The rest of the city has to bag their leaves up for pickup. But we heard from the city yesterday that effective the day prior, the special leaf pickup services in those portions of the city was no longer going to happen. And and they told residents that, you know, a, a lot of folks have already raked their leaves to the curbs in this area. And, and so the timing of this announcement was, was kind of the big oddity here. 
basically folks have to go back now and and redo the work that they've already done if they break their leaves to the curbs already. And, and city council has been hearing from city residents who are already upset about this change, right? But it seems like the big objections here are or like you said, the, the timing. Now, now, the reason why the city says it's it's making the rule change is because the former policy wasn't equitable, they say. Eh, I'm throwing the flag on that one, but keep going. Well, you know, I, some parts of the city get services, others don't. We know tree canopy aligns with with um, inequities in, in housing and old redlining maps. So, okay, fair enough, but it seems like most of the complaints I'm seeing about this, along with the changing and reduction of this leaf pickup service, is the timing here. Residents have already raked their leaves. This change coming into effect now, and then it was announced a day after it was in effect, the timing seems to be a big issue. And and we did eventually hear back from the city last evening, and the, the city, we asked them about the timing. Why now? Why not do this in advance? educate folks, get the word out instead of changing things midstream. And, um, you know, the administration told us that it rolled out this policy this late in the game because it needed to talk through options and capacity with its new-ish director of public works <laughs> and with city council. But I, I don't know. Go for it, It's Chris. like rolling out your snow policy in February. Look, what, what everybody forgets is the residents of this city – voted to increase their income tax by a half a percent. I mean, a half a percent, which was a 25% increase in their income tax rate on the promise of improved services like leaf collection. And I think this is more evidence that Justin Bibb has come in with no respect to what happened before. He doesn't have a veteran on his administrative staff and he just decides I'm doing it my way. You're hearing from more and more people in town. They can't even get in to see this guy. And because of fumbles like this, and there's no way you can characterize this as anything but a fumble are making people question whether he was the wrong guy. He ran as a collaborative leader. I'm going to come in. I'm going to open up City Hall. We're going to serve the residents. But since he's been there, it's like he's king. I'm in charge. You do what I tell you. And and this is yet another example. Lisa, you mentioned before the podcast, it started with his snowplow policy. He came on and he goes, yeah, the previous administration left us with a disaster, which was not at all true. And he had time to get it ready. And he didn't. And since then, he's had one fumble after another. And really, Courtney, I'm having a hard time figuring out, can you point to many successes? You know, I, I, I don't know how to weigh in on that. He is seeking to make different changes at City Hall. We've seen the ARPA policies. It's ultimately going to be up to voters to decide if, if he's taking care of the business they, they want him to. But I will say this, this LEAF move has anchored city council, you know, they point out what you point out, that 2016 tax increase was supposed to cover things like this. And the the chair of of council's municipal services committee intends to hold a hearing to get a better explanation about why this change is happening. They said they've been hearing from residents who are upset. I I saw this interesting uh, Twitter stream from uh, councilwoman Rebecca Marr. She said she'd been asking for weekly updates about leaf pickups for over a month now, and and then it just seems like this was thrown on folks' laps at the last minute. Um, so I, there's 
there's definitely concern there from from council who are hearing from angry residents not not pleased about this change. Yeah, I I so far he's serving up reasons for Blaine Griffin to clean his clock if he decides to run against him in three years. This is this is a mistake. They shouldn't be taking services away. They should be expanding them. We'll have to see if he reverses this because he's he's stepping into it um, time after time. You got the Eric Gordon thing. You got the failed expungement of marijuana cases. I mean, there's been a lot of fumbling in a city that has the Browns. It's today in Ohio. Health reporter Julie Washington has gone deeper on the RSV trend that is filling children's hospital wards with sick children. Lisa, what is the trend? Yeah, this is something that they really don't expect to happen. RSV is a seasonal thing, just like the flu, and it usually shows up around Thanksgiving, but we've been starting to see them since the end of September, and it's starting to fill up the, you know, fill up the hospitals. UH Rainbow Babies and Children say they have double the number of sick kids in their ER than they did one month ago. Metro Health has seen a 500% increase. The Cleveland Clinic says they're getting a 28% positivity rate on all elementary school kids that have been tested for RSV. But the Cleveland Clinic says, yeah, they're real busy. Their ER is busy. Their their pediatric ICU is very busy, but they say they're not in danger of filling up. Akron Children's Hospital says they have 500 cases throughout the system in the first three weeks of October. That's double September. So what they're saying, and also there was an outbreak, um, Cleveland Health Department reported there was an RSV outbreak at an unnamed daycare, which is still operating. So yeah, because you know this early onset, and also they're saying that COVID prevention measures like masking, hand washing, social distancing changed the pattern of RSV, and it also reduced overall immunity for people, not just to COVID. So that might be seen as, you know, part of the rise in RSV. And I, we will say that RSV is very common. Most people can, you know, confuse it with the cold. It's similar to the cold. It's only when it gets bad and kids struggle to breathe is when they have to go to the hospital. Is this something that targets a certain age group or can it get kids all the way up through high school? What is, is this more of an elementary school kind of thing or really young? We kids? usually see it in the very young and the very old and the ones that are most affected by it and the ones that are carriers as well are, you know, young kid. Well, it's really, you know, it's dangerous in kids under six months and premature kids, kids who have difficulty swallowing or clearing their mucus just regularly. It's also high risk among the elderly people with respiratory and, uh, you know, ailments like COPD, cancer patients, anyone with a depressed immune system. Like I said at MD Anderson, when RSV started, you know, at the cancer center, when RSV season started, they wouldn't even let kids inside the hospital. But you mostly see it in children. So it's more of a daycare problem than a school problem. Mm, I, I mean, they're finding these elementary school kids are testing 28% positive. So, Laura, have you gotten any warnings from the school system? No, I haven't. Um, I think that I think it is probably the younger kids that you're more worried about. That doesn't mean my kids won't get it, but I might not even realize it's mm-hmm. RSV. Okay. It's today in Ohio. We talked last month about the dearth of car sales in Northeast Ohio, but there was finally some good news in October. Laura, what was it? 
They're selling more cars. So dealerships in Northeast Ohio sold 16,373 new cars, trucks, and SUVs. And, and that was a 6% well, 6.6% increase compared to October last year. And it's the first time since June of 2021 that sales figures have actually been up compared to the same month the previous year. So that is a big deal because as we all know, the problem was that they didn't have any cars to sell. It's not that people didn't want cars. I mean, they were booming at the end of 2020, but when everything shorted out and they couldn't get cars, you couldn't sell cars because you had nothing in stock. Although we did talk last month about it was also partly the economy, that people are putting off big ticket purchases because they're so worried about what the future holds. Well, that, and I mean, there's no deals, right? Like, you're like, please. I mean, I bought a car in July, right? And I felt lucky that I could find one that I wanted to buy. And we had been saying for two years, yes, we need a car, but this is not the time to buy it. And finally, it was like, we don't want to invest you know, thousands of dollars in a 12-year-old van. So I think you know, people kind of put that off. And now if they hear there's inventory and maybe there'll be deals again, then I think more people will consider it. But you're right. The economy, inflation, and and jobs are all going to play into that decision because this is not like a pack of gum. Like, this is an investment. Sounds like we might have a story for our Saving You Money columnist, Sean McDonald. <laughs> is this the time to buy a new car? You never know. I mean, you think really because sales year to date are still down 19% compared to 2021, um, that they, if they can offer deals, they probably will because there'll be model year end incentives, promotions to close out the year. If they have enough cars, you'd think they'll want to move them. Okay. It's today in Ohio. Is Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb looking back to the former Plain Dealer building as a site for the new police headquarters? Courtney, we cared a lot more about this story when we were still <laughs> resident in that building, but our company sold it and we left in May. Uh, it was always a great location for a police headquarters. It kind of collapsed because of disagreements, I guess, with the developer in the city. But is it possible that it's back in play? Well, it sure seems like it could be. And, and this goes back to a request for proposals the city issued a few days ago, seeking alternative sites for the police headquarters. We, we know from a few months ago that Mayor Bibb was not locked in on the Opportunity Corridor site that former Mayor Frank Jackson ultimately landed on after the sale of our old building fell through. Uh, so we knew that they weren't locked in on that site. There's still a chance the police headquarters could go on Opportunity Corridor. But this request for proposals that went out this week had a specific set of parameters that the city is now potentially looking at for the site of the headquarters. And there's some specificity in here. They want a building that's within two and a half miles of City Hall. They want a building close to the highway and one that includes 250,000 square feet of space and 450 parking spaces that are separate from public parking. Now, reporter Lucas uh, Deprilli kind of calling around and getting a sense from real estate folks in town about, are there really many that buildings within two and a half miles of City Hall that kind of fits these specific requirements? And, and you know, Terry Coyne told us, I mean, here's the quote, I'd say the plain dealer building fits the request for proposals as if it were written for mm -hmm. it. So, exactly. so it's... That is a great mm -hmm. quote. <laughs> yeah, you love Terry Coyne. That guy knows how to present a, you know, he's the guy that has commercials in the Super Bowl and in NFL games. He's a very good marketer. Um, so one of the problems with the Plain Dealer building back when Frank Jackson was looking at it was it still had a lot of tenants. 
um, and he had wanted a clean building with no tenants. Uh, as I understand it, there's one tenant left, the CEOGC, the county agency, but the conditions have changed. And so I guess it's possible that they could they could stop being a tenant, which would leave that as an empty building, which is what the city wanted. Yeah, we'll have to see what that piece of the puzzle shakes out to be. You know, you know, nothing in this request for proposals says <laughs> this is supposed to be the former plain dealer building that the, the city was considering years prior. You know, it doesn't give a nod to that. In an interview with Cranes this week, the city's chief development officer said he wasn't going to be talking about specific sites here. But I think it's worth noting that this request for proposals only gives developers, real estate agents, brokers, two weeks to put together a plan for alternative sites. That's that's a pretty short window. Um, and, and, you know, the city isn't ruling out new construction, right? They're, they're seeking proposals that could be new construction on, on a piece of, you know, vacant land or whatever, but, but they have a very quick turnaround window. The city wants, wants the building to be available within 24 months of a contract being signed. So that would be a quick turnaround for new build, I I would assume. And and let's remind people that that site is basically two city blocks. It's from, well, it's more, but it's from 18th to 21st Street, and it goes past Rockwell from Superior all the way to St. Mm-hmm. Clair. It has a three-story parking garage and two very large parking areas. Plus, the city did all the due diligence on that building, whatever it was, five, four or five years ago. So all the environmentals are done. All of the, the research that is needed is done. Plus, they had with the developer... Uh, guys, they had a plan for turning it into the headquarters so they could do it fairly quickly. And let's face it, it wouldn't cost anywhere as mm. near as much as it would to build new out on Opportunity Corridor. It it was always the ideal site. and It was a shame that it collapsed. We can say that now because we won't profit from its sale. We had to be mm-hmm. a little bit more careful when, the, when our company, we didn't own it. Uh, the Advanced Ohio didn't own it, but our co- parent company owned it. Um, and so we were always a little bit trepidatious about talking about why it's such a great site. It's a great site. So and, we'll have to see. And, you know, I was I was chit-chatting with one, you know, higher up at City Hall a few weeks ago and I floated, you know, are you going Are you going to that site? And I got a smile and a no comment. So, mm-hmm. um, well, I wrote a column while we were still there saying, you know, it, it, it would be nice if somebody would champion this. We can't because we own it. We have a conflict of interest. And a bunch of readers slapped me and said, you know what? You're the only ones. You're the only watchdog out there. You know, you ought to be pushing it if it's the ideal site. But it made us uncomfortable. Now we can push it. So we, we I hope they go there. It's today in Ohio. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. We had 22 rail cars derail and overturn in Ravenna Tuesday. Lisa, people have a fascination with trains. I don't know if it's because they're so big and they lumber and everybody loves to talk about them. But what does it take to get 22 trains back on the track? Well, it takes a lot of big equipment and a lot of people working very fast because when rail lines are closed... 
Freight doesn't get moved. So railroads are really proactive about, you know, fixing derailments and getting trains back on track. Um, So 22 cars of this 237 car Norfolk Southern train derailed Tuesday night near South Prospect and Ohio 44 in Ravenna Township. Uh, They were going from uh, Bellevue, Ohio to Conway, Pennsylvania. And the cars that were involved in the derailment were mostly rock salt hoppers and, and the ones that carry automobiles. They're called auto racks. So there was no hazardous material that was spilled. So the, we don't know what caused this derailment that, you know, it's being investigated right now by the Federal Railroad Administration. But yeah, these excavators, they come in and they dig up the damaged section of rail and then they use a crane to cut lift the train cars that are worth saving back onto the track. And railroad companies have their own equipment and they have their own response teams. And as I said, it's in their best interest to clear this as quickly as possible. There were two rail lines affected by this derailment, but they say that both of them should be fixed by now. So we're thinking that traffic should be back to normal as of this morning. And our videographer, John Pana, went out. He did some aerial shots and got some video of them working on this it's the the you just if you think about how much these cars weigh it's like, what is it 300,000 pounds or something what it what how big the equipment would have to be to pick that up and then get it aligned right on the tracks it's not just setting it up right some of these cars though it sounds like they were not salvageable that they basically had to take them apart and get yeah them that's it. correct i mean and, and seeing some of the video in the news yesterday you could see where the cars were just totally crumpled and not worth putting back on the track so they have to haul all that away as well wow yeah check out the video it's on cleveland.com you're listening to today in ohio Cedar Fair has not seen crowds return fully from pre-pandemic levels, but it certainly is seeing some pre-pandemic cash at parks like Cedar Point. Laura, what is its third quarter report show? Record revenue. So they made $843 million in the third quarter. That was up 12% over 2021. Operating expenses were up 18% as well. They were driven primarily by wage and supply cost increases. But I mean, per capita spending is $62.62. That's slightly down from 2021, way up from 2019. And out-of-park spending continues to increase. That includes renovations to overnight properties like Sawmill Creek and Castaway Bay, where people are staying um, and are park-owned properties. People are fascinated with, with Cedar Point. It's really one of those Northeast Ohio things that you can't do enough about. So I I suspect people are glad to hear that they're thriving because it means the park will remain for the long time. Courtney, you grew up over there. It's a it's a huge employer, right? Um, yeah, um, not a lot of local folks. It's it's a lot of seasonal labor, but there is some local folks, and and they really have. I mean, just the thirty years I've been watching them just the recent years, the expansion, like you said, the Sawmill Creek, the the Castaway Bay properties, they're really kind of beefing up their operations. And it, it seems like a shift from from what I've been familiar with. You know, they're definitely expanding outside the footprint. And Laura, have you, we've talked about how this was a, a great relief from the pandemic because it's largely outside. We know Layla has been there several times <laughs> since the pandemic began. Have you been back? 
I mean, that's when I got my gold pass was right before the pandemic hit. So yeah, that first summer with the pandemic, you did have to wear a a mask in the park and sweating, you know, while you're on rides, wearing a mask is not my favorite feeling. But I think people are really looking for that release. And you're right. I think Cedar Point is beloved in Northeast Ohio and people are happy when they do well because they like them overall as a company and they, they have very happy memories there. So, and they keep making investments. You know, you go there and they do wonderful things with the decorations. I was just talking to someone in my news in our newsroom that wants to do something about where they store these massive, you know, skeletons and and corn stalks and all of that sort of thing. And it, you know, it's it's a nice place to be. They always put in more investments. They've got 180 million to 200 million dollars investment coming up for 2023. They want to put a new family coaster in called Wild Mouse, which I think uh, kid, you know, families with kids would really like. And then this grand pavilion, which is going to be a beachfront venue with eateries and Lake Erie views, I think over by those giant swings. So I think, you know, there's always something new. They do a really good job marketing and a really good job uh, programming. So there's always something you want to come back for. Right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talk about housing prices being relatively low in Northeast Ohio compared to the rest of the nation, but the costs are rising. What was the asking rent price in Greater Cleveland in September, and how much did it go up while rents nationally were dropping? Courtney? Yeah, this is an odd little trend. Nationally, rents fell 0.7%, but in in Cleveland's metro area, which includes Cuyahoga, Geauga, Lake Lorraine, and Medina counties, rents jumped 9.1% in September. So, you know, in August, average rents around here were $1,050. In September, that jumped up to $1,146, so almost a $100 increase. And um, like I said, that's at odds what we're seeing with what we're seeing nationally. Now, now turn into the Akron metro area, which includes Summit and Portage County. We also saw an increase there, 13.4%. Rents went up even more than in the Cleveland area. So in August, in that in that neck of the woods, rents were hovering right around 1,000, and now they're up to 1,145. I wonder if that covers student housing. I wonder if the big bump is people coming back to Northeast Ohio's academic institutions and the colleges are gouging them for for rent. And that's just such a big increase in, in such a short period of time. And against the grain, you wonder what is causing that. Yeah, I'm really curious how that also intersects with, you know, our home sale trends that we're seeing. I, Odd markets all around post-pandemic. We'll see how things shake out, but it's a bit of an ad scratcher to me. At least. And you're paying very close attention to those home sale <laughs> trends because you're in the market. <laughs> it's today in Ohio. Getting solar panels put on your house can be scary. What if they do a terrible job and create roof leaks? What if they mess up your electric system? How are some solar advocates working to give people confidence when they hire a solar installer? Lisa, this is only going to become a bigger problem as solar expands. Two nonprofits, Green Energy Ohio and Solar United Neighbors, are collaborating and they've created an industry code of ethics and they're encouraging solar installers to take the solar ethics pledge. So people who sign this pledge will be listed on the Green Energy Ohio website, but they're subject to removal if they screw up and they, you know, they violate parts of the pledge. So executive director of Green Ohio, Green Energy Ohio, 
uh, Jane Harf says this was prompted by a lot of customer complaints. She says whenever there's a new a new technology and it's starting to expand, that you get a lot of grifters and a lot of scammers that come in. And in, in fact, Attorney General David Yost sued no North Carolina-based Power Home Solar in September. He got hundreds of complaints, poor construction and installation, aggressive sales tactics, warranty issues, misrepresenting the cost savings that would be had by having solar. And Harf says that other businesses weren't even finishing the work or they were, you know, creating deceptive financing arrangements. So this idea came from a former solar business owner in Athens, Ohio, Michelle Greenfield and her wife and her husband, Jeff, they said that they kept running into misleading ads, door-to-door sales with them sticking the foot in the door and trying to get you to buy. So they worked together to create this pledge and it's 10 bullet points saying, you know, honesty, transparency, you know, uh, clear financing, you know, language and that kind of thing. Yeah, I I guess it's like any any housing contractor. You always worry about them doing quality work, Laura. We've talked plenty about your project, and that always causes you anxiety, right? Because if they take a shortcut and you don't know it, you get worried. And- well, you have people in your house literally up and down your stairs all day. You know what I mean? Like, like when else do you just welcome strangers into your house? Like, sure, do whatever you want to my electricity. And Lisa, you had work done a couple of years ago or maybe last year, and it's the same kind of thing. You're counting on them to do a good job, and you, it just but you're always nervous about it. So this is a good thing to get them at least to promise to do a good job, but it still would make you nervous about them drilling holes in your and, and to be fair, this is an ethics pledge that's voluntary. It's non-binding, but it may, you know, create a footprint for more, you know, strict red regulations. And obviously, you know, Dave Yost has his eye on these people, so... Yes, he does. And and we can count on Dave Yost to issue a press release if he finds anybody doing anything wrong. It's Today in Ohio. You know, we, we got to have John Panna go out and shoot some video of the way different cities pick up the leaves. We were talking about it in the newsroom yesterday. In Cleveland Heights, they send in almost military-style vehicles. It's gigantic equipment and snow plows and build enormous mounds to truck them all away. And other people have giant vacuum cleaners. Uh, I had no idea there were so many varied ways of doing it. Might and you know who would watch those? Just get like some two-year-old kids and just like put it on YouTube and they will watch that forever, <laughs> and, right? And, Cle- and Cleveland residents with a jealous <laughs> look in their eye. <laughs> well, I have to admit, because the leaf truck showed up yesterday at my house. It came at like seven in the morning and, you know, and I was, I sit and watch it. I don't know why. I, I look yeah. out my window. Because it's fast. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the way they do it, it really is. I, I, every, I mean, I'm always, I, I hope it happens on a day I'm working from home because you do, you're transfixed. So, except in Cleveland where you have to bag them up and it's kind of boring. That's it for today in Ohio. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thanks everybody who listens. We'll be back Friday to wrap up the week. 